Okay, so I invite you to take your Bibles and let's open it to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. And today we'll ask, uh, we'll study only one verse. Uh, what is the fear of the Lord? We'll look at verse 7 together because if we do not understand what the fear of the Lord is, we have missed lesson one of wisdom. And if you've skipped this lecture, if you've missed the first lesson to wisdom, all the future lessons will not make sense in the book of Proverbs. So because as we read, um, look at Proverbs 1 verse 7, what he calls the fear of the Lord. Um, Let's read it, pray, and we'll dive in. So it says, this is the reading of God's word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you in deep humility. Lord, I pray that you would... Give us a glimpse of what it means to fear you, to fear you rightly as you are worthy and deserving of being feared. But our fear would not be like the devil's fear, but like that of a a son and a daughter in deep love for you and deep trust for you, in you. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, one of the saddest realities in the church of Jesus today is the sickness of of biblical illiteracy. People do not know their Bibles. And because they do not know their Bibles, they do not know their God. And the consequences of that is devastating. Instead of worshiping the true God, the God of Scripture, people worship a God made up in their own imagination. You will sometimes hear people say things like this, like, my God will never send someone to hell. Right, And we would reply and say, you're right, because your God does not exist. There is a God who exists, and there's a God we want, and the two are not the same. That's the sad reality of what we are in, the the, the days we are in. Because people have a low view of Scripture, the Bible, that's why they have a low view of God. People make the mistake of thinking God is exactly like you and me. He's exactly like us. Therefore, God is made small and therefore man is made big. So what tends to happen in a church that has lost its fear of God, its worshipful awe and reverence of who he is, that instead of of feeding the sheep, they start entertaining the goats. The goal is no longer to worship the triune God of all creation, but rather to make church as comfortable as it possibly can be, right? That's why you'll find pastors coming down foofy slides from the top, right, in this grand entrance, or people kicking the Bible like a touchdown if they have a football theme for that Sunday, or people dancing uh, with secular music instead of worshiping God. But the church is not for your entertainment, The church is God's church to worship God's majesty all for God's glory. The Bible itself is uncomfortably God-centered. God-centered, not man-centered. The Bible is for you, but the Bible is not about you. And I believe the reason the sickness in the church, this biblical illiteracy, and its consequence, low view of God, low view of the Bible, is because of our text right here. We have lost our fear of God. The remedy is to have a fear 
for God. The fear of the Lord is not something people should have as only as unbelievers. Before you are a Christian, then you should be scared of God. No, here we read the fear of God is a good thing you should have for the rest of your life. It's a healthy attitude you should always have, both now and forever. Part of our confusion today, I think, especially as Christians, is because people quote verses um, and they've heard things like this, right? They've said, fear is of the devil, right? God doesn't want you to be afraid. Or they quote verses like 2 Timothy 1.7 that says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Or they quote 1 John 4 and they say, well, there is no fear in love for perfect love casts out fear. And whoever has, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love, but they forget that the same Bible teach that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. They forget Philippians 2 verse 12 that says we are to work out our salvation. How? With fear and trembling. They forget that there is a prophecy in Isaiah about Jesus. Listen to Isaiah 11 verse 3. It says his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So it says Jesus' delight, his joy, his pleasure will be in the fear of God. Peter commands us to fear God. 1 Peter 2.17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. That's a New Testament command. And they forget Psalm 34 verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Right? Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. And we can just keep on going and going. All the verses in the Bible talks about you and I should fear God. Now, some would listen to me now and say, well, isn't that an example of contradictions? Like here it says you should not fear and here it says you should fear. So it sounds like the Bible is contradicting itself. Well, if you've read your Bible for any amount of time, you'll know that the Bible is not full of contradictions, but it's full of paradoxes. Paradoxes. Jesus himself, remember one of his paradoxes. If you lose your life, what will happen? You will gain it, right? Or Jesus said, those who are first will be lost, and those who are last will be first. You see, that's not a contradiction, that's a paradox. And here in the Bible, we have another one of those paradoxes about fear. Your options is this, you will find freedom from fear when you learn to fear. You will find freedom from every other fear if you've learned to fear only one being. You see, if you've learned to fear only God, you are free from every other fear. That's the paradox. So you and I need to look at what the fear of the Lord really means and discover why it's such a good thing for you. It's a healthy thing for you. And we'll seek to understand that with answering only three questions. So we'll ask three questions and answer that. First, what is the fear of the Lord? Second, why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of knowledge? And third, what are the results of fearing the Lord. So the first question we want to answer is this, what is the fear of the Lord? We need to ask that question. And here's a very basic, simple definition of what the fear of the Lord is. This is my own definition. It's probably not the best definition out there, but the simple way I understand is the fear of God is that heartfelt fear, trust, and love, which responds to who God really is and who you really are. Okay. Fear of God is that heartfelt fear, trust, and love which responds to who God really is and who you really are. Notice, you cannot fear God 
if you do not know God. You cannot fear him. There's a direct correlation between fearing God and knowing God. The fear of God begins with when you start to realize who this God is. So to grow in your fear of God, study his attributes, know who he is, and then you'll see who you are in comparison. You cannot separate the fear of God with the knowledge of God because look at verse 7 again when it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now this knowledge does not refer to math or science or geography, okay? Because you don't have to fear the Lord to know math, to know science, to know these things. Rather, this is a very specific kind of knowledge. Notice how this is paralleled in chapter 2 verse 5. So just turn over to chapter 2 verse 5 in Proverbs. It says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find what? The knowledge of God. Do you see the parallel? What is the fear of the Lord? It is the knowledge of God. That Those things are the same thing. Look at chapter 9 verse 10, the, the other parallel in chapter 9 verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is inside. Do you see? The fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Holy One. That is what we're talking about. This is the knowledge of God. It's not merely, now when we say knowledge of God, we're not, mean, we're not merely saying facts about God, but rather knowing God personally, intimately. Knowing in the Bible often is very deeper than just intellectual facts and knowledge. Let me give you an example. Genesis 4 verse 1, it says, Adam knew Eve and she conceived. Okay, That was not a Q&A. This knowledge of Adam from his wife, right? Adam knew Eve. You see, the, the, the point there is this knowing of a man and a woman in that context is intimate, personal. Remember what Jesus says to those who will, at the final judgment, be cast into hell. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now, he's not saying, I don't know intellectual facts about you. That's not what he says. He says, you and I have never had a relationship. Who are you? You see, the Bible, when the Bible says knowledge or knowing God, it is having a relationship with him. So when Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, it is speaking of knowing God as he really is. His attributes, his character, his deeds, and that fear of who he is drives you to trust him and submit your life to him and obey him. And there are three key attributes of God that you need to know and fear God rightly. Three key attributes of God in order to fear him rightly. The first one is knowing God as our creator. You need to know that God is your creator. We see that, remember what happened in Job. Job had a few questions for God because he suffered. Now think about it. Won't you also have some questions if you've lost seven of your children in one day? All of your wealth, all of your possessions, covered with incredible pain and sickness, and your friends accusing you that it's you have sin in your life, won't you also have some questions for God? But you know what's amazing about the book of Job is the way God responds. What does God answer Job? His answer in Job is incredible. God gives Job his answers, but the answer is not what he expected. God answers Job's questions with questions. For example, God asked Job, where were you? 
When I laid the foundation of the earth, tell me, if you have understanding, who determined the measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? The wisdom we learn from this is that Job didn't need to know why. He only needed to know God himself. To know God, to know more of him. God himself is the comfort we need in our suffering, in our our sicknesses and our troubles. That God is our creator. God is in control, not us. God is all-knowing, almighty, omnipresent. Beloved, and maybe some of you here are going through intense suffering. And the natural question we ask in those moments is why? But Job teaches us that the answer is God himself, who he is. Knowing him more, his love, his grace, his patience, his wisdom, who God is and what he has done is the balm we need for our breaking hearts. Listen, God is not scared of your questions, right? If you read the Psalms, the Psalms asks very brutal questions for God. Basically, God, where are you? Why are you asleep? Why does it look like people get away with all of their sin and their evil? But they do that with deep reverence and deep humility, knowing that they are not God. God is God. So we do not come to God with this arrogant, let me tell you a few things kind of way, right? We don't come to God like that. Remember who you are. You are but a creature. You are completely dependent upon him for every breath, every time you eat, every time the sun comes up. That's God sustaining you. But God, on the other hand, is self-sustaining, self-existing. God doesn't depend on anyone or anything outside of his own being. He does not need someone's advice. He does not need someone's counsel or permission to do anything. Take all the billions of galaxies and stars, and God says he holds it all in the palm of his hand. This is who he is. Isaiah 40 verse 14 to 15 says, God says, Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Verse 26, God says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So the fear of God begins when you realize this is his universe, not yours. He makes the rules, not you. He decides what you may and what you may not do. He is the creator. We are not. We are but dust. And that will give us the proper humility to fear him rightly. That's the first attribute you need to know. God is the creator. But the second attribute you need to know is God is our holy judge. God is not just our good creator. He's also our holy judge. So knowing God in this way is knowing that you and I have sinned against this creator God. It is the essential part of his nature to be just, to punish all forms of evil in all of its ways. Remember when God reveals himself to Moses as the great I am, what does he say? He says, I will by no means clear the guilty. God cannot clear the guilty without punishing the guilty. 
He must punish it because he's good. This is what Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 says. Listen, it says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. With every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is really why people do very, very horrific things to other people or in secret is because they think they can get away with it. They think that there is no consequences for their actions and therefore they can do it. At the end of Paul's long list of the why mankind is so wicked, so sinful, he says this in Romans 3 verse 18. He says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the summary of all wickedness, all sin. There is no fear of God. Who is God that I should listen to him? Why should I do what he says? I can kill. I can commit adultery. I can steal. I can covet. Who is the Lord to tell me what to do? Many are like Pharaoh. Remember when Moses came to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. There's this great passage that just gives us insight into people's hearts. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11. Listen to that. It says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. That is so true. Because God doesn't give us justice instantly, people think they can, get, they can go on with their sins. People make the mistake of taking God's patience with God's acceptance. They think, well, I'm not dead yet. God must be okay with me. No, God is patient towards you that you may be that you may repent, that you may be saved. But the reality is you will never get away with even one sin. Your sins in private will be judged in public. There is coming a day of judgment when both the great and the small will stand before the holiness of God and they will have a give, give an account to God for everything they have done. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Because, because Paul knew there is a judgment day coming, he sought to persuade people, begging them to come to Christ, to know Jesus, to escape from the wrath to come. He says, God's wrath is coming. Flee. Flee from the wrath to come. Trust in Jesus and you will be saved. The Bible is clear when it thinks of this judgment. It's described as a pool of fire, the second death, the place where people will be gnashing their teeth, the outer darkness, one place of eternal conscience torment where their worm does not die. Now, many have listened to that or thought about that and said, but that doesn't sound very fair, right? How can God send people for an eternity to hell for only a 60-year life of sin? That, it doesn't feel like the punishment fits the crime. But even think of our lives, right? How long does it take someone to kill somebody? Sometimes as short as 16 seconds to kill somebody, right? Now, why would we punish that person, that criminal, with either the death penalty or a lifetime in prison? They've only sinned. They've only done something for 10 seconds, 16 seconds, maybe a day, whatever it might be. You see, because the weight of your sin... It's not dependent upon how long it takes to do the sin. It's about who you do it against. That's what makes sin horrific. 
You see, so if you sin against a man, yes, you will get a temporal punishment. But what do you get if you sin against an infinite, worthy, valuable God and you reject him day in, day out for 80 years? And then remember, in hell, people don't suddenly stop sinning. In hell, people continue their hatred of God. And that's why hell is eternal. So if you are outside of Jesus, you should be scared of God because he's your creator and he's your judge. You're not getting away with your sin. Hebrews says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. People think maybe they will be able to escape, but if you go to Sheol, their God will find you. If you go to heaven, their God will get you. How can you hide from someone who's everywhere? How can you hide from someone that knows all things? But this question, this raises a question, how could we ever love God if God is our creator and our judge? How can you love your executioner who is about to put you to death? Right? You cannot love the one that's about to kill you. So if the death sentence is hanging over our head, if the only thing we are expecting is frightful judgment, how can we ever love him? And this leads us to the third and the key, the last attribute of God. You need to fear him rightly. And this is knowing God as our gracious redeemer. Knowing God as our gracious redeemer. The moment you realize, and I love the song we sang, the only a holy God, was highlighting that. Who is going to deal with my failures? Who invites me to call him father? Only the holy God. You see, so that same righteous judge sent his only son. That very God crushed his son on the cross, poured out his hot wrath, anger for your and my sin on him, like boiling hot water on his back for the sins that you have done. Who can but tremble to see Jesus cry out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the Bible says that God did not spare his own son. He did not hold back. God didn't make exceptions for Jesus just because he loved them so much. Listen to me. If God were to send you to hell right now, he would be perfectly right to do that. He would be perfectly righteous. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. But instead, now this is important, listen. He treated Jesus according to what you deserved so that he can treat you according to what Jesus deserves. That is absolutely amazing that he would treat Jesus what you deserve so that he can treat you what Jesus deserves. So Charles Bridges wrote, he says, God's wrath is so bitter His love so sweet that we have this earnest desire to please him and not sin anymore, right? Until sin be bitter, grace will never be sweet to you. Until you see what you really deserve from God, you will never appreciate what he did for you on the cross. Until you humble yourself before this God, you will always stand in judgment over God and and tell him what, what he must do and what he must not do according to your standards. So listen, you never stop being afraid of hell, even as a Christian. We are always scared of what God is capable of doing, that he has the potential to cast us into hell. 
But now we no longer fear him in that way of running away from him because that same God paid for all our sins. Listen to how Jesus puts this. Jesus says this the best. Okay, Matthew 10, verse 28 to 31. He says, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, he's talking not to unbelievers here. He's talking to his disciples. He says, you shouldn't be scared of people. What can they do to you? They can kill you. But fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Be afraid of him. Do you see? So even for a believer, there's a healthy fear of God in that sense. But the next verse, Matthew 10, 29 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. He just told the disciples to fear. And then the next moment he says, fear not. You see, both is true. Do you see the paradox? This is the paradox. Fearing God frees you from all other fears. Who will be scared of a little man and what they can do to you if, 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 God is your God if he is the one you fear. So I want you to illustrate, I want you to picture this moment with me. Imagine a great and terrible tsunami heading your way, okay? You know if you're standing there at the shore, you have zero chances of surviving. If you stand on the roof, if you climb under the the ground, doesn't matter what you do, you cannot hide, you are dead. But now imagine that you are not in your house, but that you are in an airplane far above that same tsunami, okay? Even though you fear the tsunami itself and all of its potential to kill you instantly, you are safe, (laughs) You know you are safe. And that's a similar kind of fear we have of God. God has the potential and the power and the authority to immediately cast you into hell. No questions asked, right? That is something to be scared of, but if you are in Christ, if you are in Jesus, if your sins are washed away, if you are clothed and covered with his righteousness, you no longer have to fear because he will not send you to hell. How can God send you to hell if he did not even spare his son? Maybe one more illustration, right? I as a father with my little five-year-old boy and my little three-year-old boy, I have the physical potential to kill my son whenever I want to, right? They stand zero chance of fighting against me. But why are they not always running away from me in dreadful fear and and being scared? Because I will rather die for them. They know that. They know I love them. Although I have that potential that I, as a trying my best, I'm a sinful man, so I don't always do this right, but I use my power for their good. But God is not like us. God is a perfect father. God has the potential to cast you into hell, but yet you don't have to flee from him because he sent his son for you. You don't have to run away. You can run to him in trust. So yes, don't fear judgment. Don't fear going to hell. That's what 1 John talks about. Don't fear judgment day. Fear God, knowing who he is, knowing who you are, and yet knowing that he loves you. Like the beaver of, uh, in Chronicles of Narnia, I love it. Lucy said, when she heard of Aslan, she said, well, is he, is he safe? 
right? Beaver said, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. That's, that's how God is, right? He's not safe, but he's good, and he's gracious. So I repeat the simple definition. The fear of God is that heartfelt fear, trust, and love which responds to who God really is and who you really are. Now the second question, and this one will go quickly, is why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of knowledge? So it says in our text, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. What does that mean? The fear of the Lord is the beginning because those who do not fear God will never love, trust, and obey God. That is the height of stupidity and foolishness. If wisdom means to make the best possible decision for your life, for the longest amount of happiness, for the longest amount of time, if that is our definition of wisdom, then not fearing God is the ultimate folly. What does it help you if you have all the money in the world, all the riches, all the wisdom, all the knowledge that this world really um, praises, and yet you die and go to hell? Why does that even help you? That's why Jeremiah 9 says this. Jeremiah 9 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight. You see, who is wiser, the one who makes investments for 80 years and then dies, or the one who makes investments for the next billion years, billions of billions of years? Who is wiser, the one who finds all the applause of people, or the one who pleases God? You see, the statement that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge is objectively true, objectively true. If God exists, if heaven and hell are real, if God really is our righteous judge, then you haven't even begun to think rightly or live rightly if you do not know him. That's what it means to fear the Lord, to be the beginning. All right, last question we'll answer. Now, what are the results of fearing the Lord? And here I'll just mention four. Four results, four benefits of fearing the Lord. The first one, you will listen to his word. You will listen to his word and submit your life to it. Look at verse 7 again of chapter 1. So if you're still in Proverbs, go back to chapter 1, verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, so if you fear God, you won't despise wisdom and instruction. The fool will not listen to God's law because they do not know who this God is. They think that they are in control of their lives, that they are the captain of their souls, that they decide their the eternal destinies. They think they are wiser than God, more loving than God, and therefore they should make the rules and not God. But the fear of the Lord will give you a humility to know, I'm not God. I'm not smarter than God. So if God tells me, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, I'm like, amen, I'm doing that. Even when I don't feel it, even if I don't want to, but I fear God and I know that's the best way to live. If God says the proverb we just read, Moranai just read for us, whoever spares the rod hates his child, but whoever loves him is diligent to discipline. Like, okay, Lord, I trust you. You are smarter than me, not I. I will trust you. You see, so what we do is we put our ear super close to the Bible. 
and we allow God to tell us how to live and we say amen. Listen to Isaiah 66. This is the attitude. It says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be declared through. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit and what? Trembles at my word. You see, that's, that's someone that takes God's word. When God says something, we say, I believe you, God. I take your word seriously. You see, that's the result of fearing God. Secondly, you will not just listen to his word, you will turn away from sinning. You will turn away from sinning. When you fear God, you hate all sin because God hates all sin. And when God tells you, listen, this sin in your life will kill you. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your relationship with other people. It will destroy you. Don't do it. Those who know God and says, yes, Lord, I will do that. And those who don't says, of course, Lord, yes, I I think I know a little bit better than you. I'm still going to sin because I am smarter than you. Listen to 8. Just turn to Proverbs 8 verse 13 with me. It comes very close to a, like the first result. It says, Proverbs 8 verse 13, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. You see, that's the result. If you fear God, you hate evil. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, we already read it, but it says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. That will be the result Fearing God, God, you said it, I'm doing it. Okay, Job 28, 28. He said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Now listen to me. You will especially stop doing not just the sins you do in public, but if you fear God, you will especially stop the sins you do in secret. Right? One of the key reasons we sin in secret is because we think we are alone. No one sees me. No one knows about this. I am going to get away with it. And you sin. But if you really believed someone is there at all times, and this someone is God himself, omnipresent, how many people would watch or continue watching pornography when their parents walk into the room? Why would you suddenly stop? Because there's a fear, and I would say a shame. And you know, I, I, I don't want to do this when someone's there. But that's the truth. The truth is you're never alone. You're never secret. God is there. Someone with this fear will be like Joseph. Remember what happened to Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with Joseph. And Joseph's reply was, how can I do this great sin against God? You see, even though they were alone, Joseph was aware of the, of the presence of a holy God. So, beloved, fear God and stop sinning. I'm not saying perfectly, we all sin, we all fail. That's why we continually go to Jesus for forgiveness and grace. But if you really fear God, this will free you from especially those secret sins. This leads us to the next one. To fear God rightly, you will be free from every other fear. Look at Proverbs 29 verse 25. Just turn there with me. Proverbs 29, 25. 
The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. You see, when you fear God, you are no longer a slave of what people think of you. I don't know about you, this is that one thing that I struggle with so much. I care too much about what people think of me, what their opinions are of me, how their evaluations are of me. If I have left a good impression or a bad impression and I just walk away with all of this fear. But you see, if if you trust God, if you fear God, the only question you have left is, have I pleased him? In that, that conversation I had, in this moment when I wanted to impress, did, did I please God? This really helps me sometimes even with my preaching. Sometimes I preach a sermon and I'm worrying about how people would take it. But at the end of the day, it's irrelevant because have I pleased God with my sermons? You might have something else that you're tempted with wanting to please people. But your question shouldn't be what do people think, but what does God think? Have I pleased him? You see, you won't fear powerful people because the very worst they can do is kill you. That's the worst. But they cannot cast your body and soul into hell. Think of Daniel's three friends. I love that example, right? Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't bow, I'll cast you into the fiery furnace. They obeyed. They feared God more than death. They say, I will not bow. And they said to the king, our God is able to save us. He will save us. And even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. It frees you from these fears. It frees you of future fears. Like maybe some of you are very scared for South Africa. What's going to happen in South Africa with the elections, our country, our children? I know people who say they want zero kids because they cannot bring up uh, their children in this frightful world. And I like to answer and say to those people, has God changed? Has God suddenly lost control of South Africa? Is he not just as in control today as he was in Daniel's life, in Joseph's life, in Job's life? You see, if you fear God, you stop fearing about the future. You stop because you realize this God is in control. He is going to protect me and care for me. And even if the worst happens to me, it will be for my good. Jesus shows us this when, remember the, the, the disciples of Jesus was in the boat and they were fearful when they, when they saw the storms while Jesus was asleep. What did Jesus say? He says, he rebuked him and he says, oh, you of little faith. Listen to this quote from John Flavel. He says, if men would but dig to the root of their fears, they would certainly find unbelief there. He says, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? The less faith, still the more fear. Fear is generated by unbelief, and unbelief strengthened by fear. And therefore, all the skills in the world can never cure us of the disease of fear till God first cures us of our unbelief. Christ, therefore, took the right method to rid his disciples of their fear by rebuking their unbelief. By fearing God, you can confidently say, if God is for us, Who can be against us? If this God did not spare his son, why should I be afraid? Why should I be scared of the future of other people? Lastly, this fear of God will also give you true peace and true contentment. Just look with Proverbs 23, verse 17 to 18. Listen to this verse. It says, Proverbs 23, verse 17, Let not your heart envy sinners, 
but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. You don't have to envy sinners because if you fear God and if God is for you, you already have everything you need. You'll realize that one day Jesus will come back and he will give you everything. You don't need to be in the best house and the, the drive the best car and have the best job because God is for you. In other words, I want you to listen carefully. You are no longer looking for something you already have. In Christ, you already have eternal life, joy forever, peace beyond our understanding. What are you looking for? If God, your Father, has given you this, you no longer need people to validate you because God already validated you in Christ. People cannot satisfy your heart, but Jesus can. Money and possessions will never fill you up, but Jesus can. No human being can fully love you with all of your brokenness and your mess and your sin, but Jesus already did. No one can give you that true courage to face a scary situation, but Jesus is always with you and walks beside you. Nothing can satisfy your hungry soul, but the bread of life and water can. So, beloved, this is what it means to fear the Lord. It's simply recognizing that you are living in his universe, his world. You agree with the psalmist that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You tremble before him in joy because Jesus came to save you from your sins. And as you grow to know him more, your heart is freed more and more from lesser fears, lesser joys, lesser securities, and to enjoy God forever. And just the last thing I'll say, and then I'll really close. <laughs> this is the test to know if you are a Christian or not. If, you are, if you're wondering, yeah, am I a Christian or not? This is the test. The more you know about God, the more you learn of his attributes, the more your heart grows in love for him. That's the sign that you are born again. But the more you learn about God, or the more you know his attributes, and the more you hate him, the more you dislike him, that's a sign that you are not saved, that you are not a Christian. But his grace is even right now available for you. Don't harden your heart. Humble yourself. Come to Jesus. He will save you if you call out to him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we know and confess that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But Lord, thank you that you sent your only Son to take our sins upon him. The wrath of God, the judgment of God was placed upon him. Now there's no more fear of judgment because there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. Our sins are washed away and we can come to you and trust you and love you and obey you. Oh Lord, I pray that you would draw those maybe here who do not know you, who do not fear your name, that you would draw them to yourself and show them your greatness, your glory, your majesty, your, your truthfulness, your beauty, your grace, and especially as they look to Jesus and see him and his grace and love for them. Lord, thank you so much for your word and um, help us, Father, to believe you and to walk in the fear of you in this week to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.